chemistry is, well, technically, chemistry is the study of matter. But I prefer to see it as the study of change. Now, just, just think about this. Electrons, they change their energy levels. Molecules, molecules change their bonds. Huh? Elements, they combine and change into compounds. Well, that's, that's all of life, right? I mean, it's just, it's the constant, it's the cycle, it's solution, dissolution, just over and over and over. It is growth, then decay, then transformation. It is fascinating, really. Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. I hope everybody has had enough rain over the last couple of days. I had the privilege of sitting at Cooper's homecoming game the other night in a plastic bag. And just and you know, it's funny, this year Brett had chosen not to play football and just concentrate on baseball, which when you're a senior in high school, you go through all these kind of changes. And I was sitting there about the third quarter, and I go, why in the world am I sitting here? <laughs> My son, Noah, I know the answer to that is, is because all the guys that are on the football team, Brett played football since he was in the seventh grade on up, and uh, like last night after homecoming um, at my house, about 11.30, I'm sitting there watching Kentucky, who, I'm going to be very honest, didn't deserve to win. Um, but after the Kentucky game's over, my sliding door flies open, and seven or eight kids come rolling in my house. And this morning, as I was stepping over them to go out the door, because wherever they passed out last night from staying awake till 4 o'clock in the morning, that's where they were. So when Brett and Brianna come in today, please talk loudly to them. Get right in their face. You know, make sure that you know. But, I mean, it's, it's a blessing in my house. Um, I think about the days, and somebody asked me about this the other day. said, you talk about a lot of times in youth about the fact that when you grew up, your mom and dad um, always threw the doors open. And I said, no, my mom and dad threw the refrigerator doors open. And we would bring our friends over. And there's a lot of these things that I can just churn up memories of that remind me of my past. And they bring a smile to my face. And today, the sermon that I've chosen to bring to you is called Back to the Future. Now, I am a child of the 70s and 80s. So when Back to the Future came out, I was a freshman in college. And I remember the story. Everybody remember the story? Anybody in here like this movie besides me? Just check. Let me do that for Back to the Future, you got the original movie was the best one of the movies. I just had to say that because it made the point. Look at that. I get more nods from you on Back to the Future trivia and statements than I do from the Bible. What is this all about? Uh, anyway, you know the story, Marty McFly, where they came up with the name, I'll never know, but it's one that sticks in your head, and everybody remembers this, right? McFly, McFly. Um, but in Back to the Future, it's the story about a nutty professor, Emmett Brown, that invents a time machine out of a DeLorean. If you say the word DeLorean to students today, they don't have any idea what you're talking about. It shows you how long ago it was. But 
the whole premise of the movie is built around the fact that they were going back to the way things used to be. And as the movie progresses, you understand the fact that anything that they do in the past affects the future. And today I wanted to talk on, if you, if you have your bulletin, you can look out on the back. I have four points that are L-I-F-E. And they spell out life because this is what we're called to do in life. But a lot of times we get stuck in this mode of back to the future. Just sitting down here on the pew, I was sitting there thinking about all the things when I was a kid that I enjoyed. I enjoyed not locking my front door. Remember that one. I enjoyed getting on my bicycle and riding all over town with 10 cents in my pocket and coming back with a pop and a candy bar. I remember going alongside the highway because you didn't have a lot of jobs for us to do unless you sold grit newspaper or something else. We collected Coke bottles. And then it was off to Bill and Kathy's, which was the name of the... uh, grocery store carry out in Alexandria and old man Bill would come out and try to talk you into not taking money but offer you penny candy for it. So learned how to trade. I remember in the summertime, Ken's talking about summertime, I remember having 80 cents in my pocket and going to the brass key and going swimming for the day. And there's a lot of things that I like about my past. There are a lot of things I don't like about my past. I didn't like the time that right after this movie came out and I was driving home from Cumberland College, a man in a truck stopped in front of me in Richmond on 75. And myself and two other gentlemen, my friends from uh, high school, went rolling down the interstate. My car flipping over and over and over and over and coming to rest in the median. If you know where the old rest area in Richmond was, that's exactly where I was. And the guy had decided that he wanted to go to the rest area and didn't know that I was traveling next to him. And there are other things that I don't want to remember. I don't want to remember when my mom called me and said, you need to come home, your grandfather has passed away. Times that hurt. But in all those times, I can tell you that in my life, those are things that I learned from. And I'm going to tell you this today in... Um, Some of you might pick up on it real quick exactly where I'm going, but when we look back to the past, it's okay if we choose not to live there. Because we can't. There's nothing that we can do about the last year, the last five years, the last ten years in our life that forces us to go back, and we can't go back there and stay there no matter how much we want to. So as I begin this and I start talking to you about life, the first L there says this, that we need to learn from our past, but we can't live there. We need to learn from it. In the book of Philippians, the scripture that I chose to read today was in chapter 3. And their verses 14 and 15, I believe, and it says this. It says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize that God has called for me heavenward in Jesus Christ. 
all of us who are mature should take a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And as I sat through the verses in Philippians and I was choosing the, the ones that I was going to be able to use, I sit down and I thought about what speaks to my life right now. And these two verses speak to me. Because it speaks clearly to me the fact that no matter how I feel in the morning when I wake up, I have to keep pushing forward. And God has intended for that in my life. I might not want to get up and go to work. I might not want to have to go to lunch with Kent. I might not, you know, I don't want to make another hospital visit. I don't want to run my children another day to another physical therapy session. I don't want to have to preach another funeral because I'm tired of death. But God tells me that in my life, that all those things that I'm experiencing, that the things that I am doing and I'm a part of are growing my future. And the same thing goes for the church as a body. I can tell you that when I was a kid growing up as a preacher's son, there were times when I would try to figure out a way to get out of church. You guys have never done that, have you? I looked at that. There's some guilty faces on there. And as I thought about the ways that I could get out of church, I could fake illness, never worked. My mom would come in, drag me over to church. I could say that I'm going to go somewhere with my friend, and that never flew. Dad says, wherever you're going, you can go after church. Um, So there were times when I would actually be sitting in church, and I would be sitting there, you know what? I'd rather be out with my friends running around, playing a baseball game. And life was a lot simpler then because there weren't a lot of baseball games that I had to play on Sunday because sports and church had their defining lines. But it doesn't happen that way anymore. And I fight that battle. Not, I use the word fight. Don't think that, Ken, or that Brett and Brown and Brooklyn are in my face all the time wanting to skip church, but they're like any other kid. Their friends invite them to something and they hear that and they don't like the fact that I put the importance on the fact that I want them here at church. But I stand by that principle. So there are things that in your life that when you learn them from the past that you bring forward. And the real reason is this, is because I want my children, I want everybody that walks into church to have this feeling that I miss out on something if I'm not there. And when I think about uh, Marty McFly, he goes through this whole adventure of meeting his mom, his mom falling in love with him. No weirdness, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about the fact. Meeting his uncle, his uncle Joey line is the... Is the uh, is the greatest. He's sitting down to dinner and his Uncle Joey's in the playpen behind bars and he says, hey, you better get used to him. I mean, the things that you actually take out of that movie, just the little blurbs, he is working from the point of, even though he never lived at that point in time, he knew what was going to happen. He knew the way the scenario was. So don't get hung up on life and don't keep looking to the past and don't say better days because I believe, and I believe it because Scripture says that there are better days ahead. And when I think about better days ahead, I also remember that this, that every time 
that I go through a point in my life where there's change, it's scary. The unknown. Every time that we face a moment as a church family and we're not sure what the outcome is, there's that nature in us that just says, well, what's it going to be like and how's it going to go and is this going to change and is that going to change? And you know what? In my scripture reading this week, the one thing I found out is I shouldn't be worried about those things because there's nothing that's going to surprise God. He already knows. He knows where we'll be in a year. He knows how the diligence and the love of the people of this church are going to continue to reach out to people. And there are going to be people that walk in these doors that are going to find out that they're loved and cared for. And if you're a guest today, I want you to know this, that in all my visits to all the churches and all the things, the one thing I can tell you about this church is they'll talk to you. They'll come up and talk to you. And that's the way we've got to be. If we see somebody we don't know, and we talked a little bit about last week, we had a meeting, and when we talked about it with the people that do the mingling and greeting, the statement was made, well, what if you don't know the person? I kind of feel dumb because I walk up and introduce myself to the person. And I said, well, there's a good chance that if you don't know them, they don't know you. And last Sunday, I was sitting out there, and Jason Scroggin comes, and he asked me, he said, uh, do you know those two ladies over there? And I said, well, yes, I do. And he had just never been introduced to them, so I walked him over, and I introduced to them. They stood for 25 minutes after I got done, and they were talking to one another. That's how I know that this church will talk, is because when friendships are made, life begins. I know that life is scary when change comes. I know that we sit there and we fight with these feelings. We want to be in control of things. And sometimes we get to the point of giving up. And I wanted to show you this clip from the movie because this kind of sums up this and goes into our next point. So if we've got it ready. I've been so careless. 1.21 gigawatts. Tom, how am I going to generate that kind of power? It can't be done, can it? Look, all we need is a little plutonium. Oh, I'm sure that in 1985, plutonium is available in every corner drugstore, but in 1955, it's a little hard to come by. Marty, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you're stuck here. Whoa, whoa, God, stuck here? I can't, I can't be stuck here. I got a life in 1985. I got a girl. Is she pretty? Oh, she's beautiful. She's crazy about me. Look at this. Look what she wrote here, Doc. I mean... That says it all. Doc, you're my only hope. Marty, I'm sorry, but the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Unfortunately, you never know when or where it's ever going to strike. We do now. This is it. This is the answer. It says here that a bolt of lightning is going to strike the clock tower precisely 10.04 p.m. next Saturday night. If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work. 
Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Saturday's good. Saturday's good. I can spend a week in 1955. I can hang out. You can show me around. Marty, that is completely out of the question. You must not leave this house. You must not see anybody or talk to anybody. Anything you do could have serious repercussions on future events. Do you understand? Yeah, sure. Okay. Marty, have you interacted with anybody else today besides me? I'm... Yeah, well, I might have sort of bumped into my parents. Great Scott! Let me see that photograph again of your brother. Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother. His head's gone. It's like, it's like he's been erased. Erased from existence. No, it's a little bit longer clip, but it's the only one that I show today. But in that, you see Emmett giving up on the fact, I can't get you back. You're going to be stuck here. You're going to be stuck in the past. And when he makes that statement, it resonates with me as a Christian because I don't want to be stuck in my past. And I've got examples like the Apostle Paul, who was a great learned student underneath the uh, Pharisees at that time and learned his lesson in his Old Testament very well. And if Paul wasn't converted from Saul, who was out persecuting Christians, having him put to death, he would have never seen the grace and the love that Jesus Christ provides. But God, in his infinite wisdom, used the one thing that was terrorizing Christianity at that one point in time and flipped it for good. And Paul, in the New Testament, recounts it over and over in his writings to the different people and the places that he went and the people that he was speaking into the lives. He was saying, I am so glad, I am so glad, I am so glad. And used those kind of terms because he knew the second chance that he was given. And he didn't take for granted that second chance. Instead of being that person that was known as a scourge to the Christian faith, he became one of the great builders of the church that is today. And that's the way that we need to conduct our lives. Not to be Paul, because not all of us are called to travel, but to have that same kind of feeling about our faith that we want everybody else to join us. Now, the I is involved. Involve yourself in serving others. The only way that the Apostle Paul was able to have it be a living example of this was to get out and do something. He didn't sit around, he didn't sit in a building and say, anybody that wants to know about Jesus, you just come to me. And a lot of times in church life nowadays, that's exactly what you see happening. People get comfortable in their ways. And I guess I'm going to say this because I just know how it is in church. That when the fall comes, everybody flees from certain people because they're coming and asking you to serve. And you know where you've been asked to serve. And if you haven't been asked to serve and you want to serve, you come and tell me. I've got somebody that I'll put on you, right, Susan? I mean, I'll send somebody right down your way. But the trick is, 
that in our Christian lives, if we don't want to be stuck in the past, we have to involve ourselves in people's lives. Let me tell you this. That is the one thing that I cherish most in my life whenever I walk through the doors of this church and go back out on the mission field. Whether I've gone to Puerto Rico, Poland, England, Wales, Canada, Mexico, in all those places, it forced me to go into an uncomfortable place and share the Jesus that I tell everybody every day that I love. But it just doesn't happen there. It happens on nights of the week when we're passing out food commodities. Because a lot of people don't understand the fact that we resonate in this area as people that are caring for other people. And for you to give up an hour or two once or twice a month to come up here and be able to welcome people in the door and offer them the food and the assistance that they need, that is involving yourself in their lives. Maybe it's as simple as something like, I like sports, so I help coach over an upward basketball. Maybe it's something as easy as standing by a door and putting a bulletin in their hand and saying, we're so glad you're at church today. Maybe it's finding a way to go into the schools and teaching kids and loving them and giving them homework or helping them with their homework, not giving them any more homework. My kids would die if I said that. Helping them with their homework. Because on Friday, I was proud of my son. He got a job offer from the Boone County Parks, and he took it. He's going to be working with David Whitehouse with a group of students at Goodrich Elementary. This is what involvement means. This is that collaborative where we together as Christians, we stand together and we're changing people's lives. Emmett was sitting in the chair giving up, but all of a sudden, when there was a glimmer of hope, he hopped out and he started thinking, what if? And I ask you the same question as we sit here today. We sit in this church on Sunday morning, but how many times do you have that what if moment? What if I was to do, what if I was to talk to this person? What if I was to go out and have lunch with somebody that I knew doesn't have any kind of relationship with Jesus Christ? What if I've never been a part of a small group or a Sunday school class and I take that extra time in my life and I get a little bit deeper? I'm going to tell you, be very careful of doing any of those things because it's contagious. When you're a Christian and you become involved, soon it's like me at Krispy Kreme. They can't roll them off of the assembly line fast enough for me to eat them. You will sit there and you will be so, so in tune with the fact that God has set a purpose in your life that you will do anything to complete that task. And the way I look at the world today, we need it a lot. My daughter looked at me the other day when I picked her up from school, and she goes, Dad, she said, is it true? And I said, is what true, Brianna? And she goes, she goes two weeks ago in youth, you talked about the fact <clears throat> that there's going to come a day when I get older that I'm probably going to have to stand up in front of somebody, and if I claim I'm a Christian, 
it's going to cost me. And she said today when they ran the newsreel at school, I came across that that young man that did that heinous thing out there was asking people if they were Christians. And when they would stand up, he would shoot them. And I said, hon, I can't, I can't tell you whether all that, I, there's so many reports that go on. And she goes, is it true? And with my heart breaking, I look at my daughter and I said, yeah. The number one persecuted group in this world right now to death are people that don't fall in line with somebody else's beliefs and that's exactly where Christians are. And I've heard accounts over there in Syria, these people walking over because they found faith in Jesus Christ and they're walking across the border and the countries of this world won't take them in because they don't think that that's a big enough deal, the fact that somebody wants to kill them. And I'm telling my 15-year-old daughter the fact that that's the way this world's moved. And then I have to try to find a point of come back. You still need to be on task. And she said, well, she said, it helps me to know that I'm not alone. Look around. Would it help you to know that you're not alone in this battle, in this world? Because while we sit in these churches, while we sit in buildings and while we sit on our faith, there are people that are dying and going to hell because we don't say what if. And we need to say what if. In scripture it says, I'm not looking, you need to be not looking for your own interest, but each of you into the interest of others. Quit worrying about the stuff that you get for yourself and the stuff you accumulate yourself and start thinking about others. The perfect example for Jesus Christ. Even unto death, Jesus Christ was thinking of us. The next letter on our list is the letter F, and it means focus. And it's just simply this, focus your full attention on Jesus Christ. As we as a church keep moving forward, the only thing that we need to focus on as we make decisions is what would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle it? What would Jesus say and what would his reaction be? A lot of you guys know that I live in the world of racing. And what I mean by that is I have my youngest daughter that runs cross country. And whenever I think about her running, I remember the, the passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about running the race, reaching the finish, reaching the goal. And you know, I've heard my father stand on many pulpits and say, he said, you know what, you're not going to be a, we might not reach that goal in our lifetime. But we have to have the next generation of Christians, the next generation of believers, understand that the race still has to be run. And when I watched Brooklyn run, and we were yesterday out at Williamstown, and it was cold, it was wet, it was miserable, it was muddy. 
And she and I were joking all the way down, we'd rather be any place else but there. But she puts on her cross-country spikes, and she goes and toes the line. And every time she does that, it reminds me that she's put in work. She goes to Idlewild and runs three times a week. She's doing mileage. She works on her sprints. And I'm not one of these parents, thank goodness, anymore that is worried about my child becoming a superstar. I want them to do it for themselves. And when she toes that line, I know that she has put in the work and she's put in the effort. And as she takes off, after the gun goes off and she runs the race, and my daughter doesn't place in the top ten, but she runs that race and she never stops. And I watch kids along the course, they'll stop and have to walk a little bit. And she'll just chug with her arms. And when she finishes the race, she'll come to me and she'll go, I'm sorry. And I'll look at her and I'll say, what are you sorry for? And she says, I didn't win. And I tell her, I said, you know what? I'm not worried about the win, Brooklyn. I'm proud just watching you run. And so many times as Christians, we think it's all about the circumstance and all about the fluff and how big the buildings are. And we're so focused on the wrong thing that we forget that God is proud of us just because we're running the race. He knows Excuse the expression, the hell that a lot of us have to face every day in our lives. He knows the struggles that you have with your families. He knows the struggles about keeping a job in this day and age. Or even being able to have health care insurance that pays enough. But God's not saying, I'm raising you because I want you to be the winner, I'm raising you because I want you to run the race well. And when that day comes, when I pass over, I want to be able to lift my face to God and say, you know what? I was too fat and slow to run the race and win. But I think I ran it well. How do you want God to see you? Do you even get in the race? Do you prepare yourself and condition yourself so when we're facing this race as a church and Burlington Baptist Church is moving into the next years that God's going to bless us, are you going to sit on the bench and watch that and then someday look back and envy and say, well, I wish I could have been a part of that. Well, you could have been. Or maybe, maybe you cheat on the preparation. I'll show up for the race. And pretty much through the race, you're just tuckered out and you just sit there and go, woe is me, I don't know how I'm going to get through. Because God says that you've run the good race. You've reached the prize. And that means through all the turmoil and struggle that we're ever going to have to face. Focus on Jesus. Because that's the ultimate prize. Last thing is this, expect great things. 
And when I came down to this one on my note, I only have one thing. It says this, it says, none of the events of this past week has caught God's surprise and no event changes God's plans for us. And I believe that as a Christian, that if I hold on to the fact that better things are yet to come, because that's exactly what I've always seen in my life, it's going to be okay. And one of the greatest things that I can tell you that I'm a part of in this church is small groups. And this isn't a small group push, but I'm going to tell you why. It's because at any moment in time, when I find myself hurting and struggling and running out of gas, there's somebody there to pick me up. And we even sing a song sometimes, Kent leads it, better things are still to be done in the city. And when I see that verse and when I hear that song, it reminds me that my race isn't over. And today, when I opened up the Bible and I started thinking about that this morning at 6 o'clock, I was thinking about all the obstacles that can be thrown our way. But I also know that we have been blessed with a wonderful group of individuals in this church that know how to clear obstacles. And if we can't clear the obstacle, we'll build another road. As today, this is my encouragement to you. Understand that just like when the sun comes up, when Kent was talking about the day and the beauty of that day, every day when we rise, we serve a risen Savior. Understand that our God no matter what anybody else in any other nation in the world likes to say about Christianity, our God is the God that sits on the throne. And his heart is 100% about us. But for us to enjoy the fruits of what's yet to come in this church, we need to be 100% about God. So don't come with your pack of I wants and I needs. Come with your pack of saying, Jesus wants this and Jesus needs this. Because just by changing the simple name from I to Jesus, it changes the whole perspective of what's going to be done. And I, for one, am so excited to see where Burlington Baptist is going. And a year from now, my prayer has been that you don't recognize our church as anything that we've ever been in the past. For some of us, that scares us because we want to go back in time and hang out down there because it was a lot simpler and it was easier. We always knew what we were supposed to do. It's not always going to be like that. I would tell you that the Apostle Paul was dropped into this world today. He would be begging God, beam me back up. I mean, you know, just get me out of here. Never mind. So don't lose heart. Don't lose struggle. Know that it's about our life. Our L-I-F-E. And take all four of those and make that your goal for this upcoming year. Don't just sit in the pews, get involved. Find those people that need Jesus and share Jesus. And love on them 
like they've never been loved on before. If you're a guest today and you've never been you know, a part of a fellowship, we'd invite you to think about joining Burlington Baptist Church. We'd love to have you. I'll be down as Kent and the band gets ready to play and you're right down here in front and I'll be happy to talk with you and what that all looks like. If you've um, been visiting you've been looking for a church home and you're not sure what you're looking for and you need somebody to pray with you about that, we're happy to do that too. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm always going to put the emphasis on that because you know what? It's not about church membership. It's about heaven membership. And if you don't have an idea how to have this personal relationship with Jesus, come down and talk with us. The altar, if you've got things in your life that you need to pray about or you need somebody to pray with you about, use the altar. Maybe you need that time to restart. We offer the communion table for you to be able to do that. Just a time between you and God. Just maybe to hit that reset button in your life and saying, you know what? I'm not so afraid anymore about the future. Because I know you hold it. Come and be a part of that. It's just a blessing to be in this church today.